Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Order de saca. Ojo que lo va a bajar. Rice gol. Bueno, 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 bueno. Bueno, la que se, se está montando. Marca de Clan Rice el 2 a 1. Locura gol del Arsenal. Locura gol del Arsenal. De Clan Rice. Rice. De Clan Rice. Cast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning, Andrew. A definitive goodly morning. Very, very, very much a goodly morning. So much so that you might be out in the street and some random man might come and kiss you on the cheek. That's how goodly it is. It is. It is that sort of day. Um, a hug from a stranger. Uh, a kiss from... A oh. new friend. <laughs> a new friend. <laughs> this uh, is, yeah, it was quite mad. There was a lot of that around the Emirates Stadium, I think, in those final few minutes. And as the fans flooded out, I don't think I was the only one. You make reference, of course, to a, a man coming up to me and kissing me. Yes. Uh, my own uh, Rubiales moment uh, during the recording of On the Whistle. But much more warmly received um, yes. at my end. Very welcome. And, uh, yeah, a, a guy just came up out of the crowd and, and gave me a little kiss. I could get used to that, Andrew. Oh, yeah? Just yeah, random... let's make it a thing. If you see me doing on the whistle, <laughs> come and give me a little sugar. <laughs> you're you're asking for trouble here. You know that. You've started You've started something that I, I, yeah. I'm convinced you're going to regret now. I know. I, I Like, flash forward a few months and I'm sort of recording it, like, desperately hiding around a corner yeah. somewhere like hope like with uh, and the camera pans and there's just like a hordes of arsenal fans chasing me <laughs> like some sort of game of kiss chase that's gone horribly wrong yeah 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 <laughs> um, oh dear well perhaps not but listen in the moment i was caught up in the emotion i went with it what can i say yeah well look what can you do in in moments like that i was sitting on the sofa at home and my watch started buzzing i've got a garmin watch and my it started buzzing and it, 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 the message on the screen said, abnormal heart rate detected. Wow. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> almost worrying. But- yeah, slightly worried, I have to yeah. say. I was slightly worried, but it, it, I was going, how do, you, how do you stop it? And I was trying to, you know, poke the water. How do you stop this? And then it just sort of stopped once, uh, I guess, my heart rate went back to normal because it was a, an enthralling end to the game. And yeah, I mean... I'm sure I'm not the only one whose heart rate was was through the roof. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how many times a season we can do that, but it feels like we've done that sort of thing quite a lot of late. Um, you know, sort the, of. Yeah, sorry. It, yeah, yeah. I, I, like it, it. It was kind of extraordinary, but then I think if you look back over the last, I don't know, 
12 months. The extraordinary at the Emirates Stadium has become commonplace in some respects. Well, I was going to say to you, you know, this, this the discussion we had last week about conceding goals early on in games, like we did against Fulham and how that's become not part of the experience, but it happens with a kind of frequency we don't like. Maybe the flip side of that is that we are also capable of doing things like this, not just at home. Of course, you did it against Aston Villa away, but you think of Bournemouth, you think of United last season, you think of United now this season. It's a, is it a good habit? Is it is it a good thing to have in your locker? I mean, I, I really enjoyed Mikel Arteta's uh, press conference. The first uh, question he got, he was asked was like, "So, Mikel, was that your plan for today?" And he was just deadpan and went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I had planned. I told the players that was, that's what was going to happen, but I didn't tell the crowd because I wanted you know a bit of emotion. Um, sure. I mean, you can't plan for that, obviously, but." It, is it? I think it is. You know, maybe we'll touch on it in in more detail. But I do think it is a good thing to be able to do to well win games that late and to respond and to show the character and the mentality and all those things that we can't quantify, but they're evident in some of the results that we've had of late. Fergie time, Andrew. We want it in Fergie time. Someone said, "Where is it here?" I have a. What was it? A, Oh, in the questions, let me see if I can find it. It is, where's my thing gone? Uh, somebody said, maybe we should call it our Tet time. Nice, our Tet time. I mean, the way the Premier League is these days, you get an awful lot of it. Um, and that could play into our hands because we are very good at turning the screw in those final few moments of games. It has become a bit of a pattern. And I do think each one, you know, build something, doesn't it? I think it adds to mm. belief in the crowd, belief in the in the players, that in those scenarios, they can get over the line. And you make a good point about going behind. I mean, the game was so helter-skelter yesterday and so up and down, especially that first, that last um, 15 minutes or so, that I, I almost forgot that this was a comeback win. You know, we did come from behind to win in mm. this game. And to do that in a big game is hard. I mean, everyone talks about the weight of the first goal. I was thinking about it before the game, thinking the first goal's massive. You know, it's so defining. It's so important. We didn't get it. So to get the three points from that situation um, is fantastic. Uh, It was not a straightforward path. And, you know, Mikel Arteta did his pre-match press conference all about the routes you take. Well, it was a pretty circuitous route to three points, but yes. we got there in the end. Yes. I, I've got to give a shout to Abby Gunner, who's at Abby Arsenal 10. He's the one who said, goodly morning, Fergie time. We better start calling it Arteta time. Uh, <laughs> do we have a stat as to how many stoppage time goals we've scored under him? I don't have that stat, but I know exactly where you're coming from. Um, you know, I think there's the other side of that is that, you know, from our perspective, you get the boost of winning a game late. I also wonder if when you do it on a regular basis, it sort of is in the back of the minds of the opposition. Yeah, that absolutely. You know, particularly now when you get to 90 minutes, it's 1-1 and, you know, it was 2-1 for a little bit, but it went back to 1-1. But you get to 90 minutes and the board goes up and it's eight minutes. And if you're the opposition, you're thinking fuck Mm -hmm. you know because Arsenal have done it time and time again and you know it was in the sixth minute of those eight minutes when we got that goal yeah I think as an opposition defender coming to the Emirates Stadium now you're absolutely aware 
of our capacity to do that. Think of, you know, the amount of times we know that as fans, having gone to the like Anfield or Old Trafford mm. in Fergie's heyday, that feeling that at certain ends, you know, the team is just capable of sort of, you know, the crowd almost sucked the ball into the net. And I really think attacking that North Bank as we conventionally do in the second half, I think that's absolutely there now. And, you know, especially when we bring on Reese Nelson, that's just flaunting. You know, he is kind of the totem of the last minute winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, you know, still disappointed that he couldn't make it happen against Fulham, but I guess it's not in, entirely his fault. Yeah, so look, has got an off day. Yeah. Let's go back to the start and the team selection. And it was more conventional, I think, because because of the injury to Thomas Partey, which was doing the rounds over the weekend. And that came to pass. Obviously, Mikel Arteta saying he's going to be out for a few weeks. He said in his post-match press conference, it doesn't look good. So we'll have to wait and see what the time frame is on that. Nevertheless, he did talk a little bit pre-game about how maybe Partey was... I think he hinted that Partey might be or might have been earmarked for a midfield role in this game anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the absence of of him, what he did in terms of team selection made a lot of sense. Ben White moves over. Gabriel comes back in. Alexander Zinchenko comes back in. Um, Kai Havertz kept his place in midfield. Eddie and Kedia started up front. Was there anything surprising at all about the, the team selection to you? Once Partey was out, I really thought it picked itself, you know. Um, mm. uh, yeah, I, I kind of suspected it would be what it was. I think he was so forthright in his defence of Kai Havertz in the in the days leading up to the game that uh, I think it would have seemed very contradictory and sent a very mixed message to leave him out. Uh, and I thought he would stick with Eddie. Obviously, Jesus is still on the way back to full fitness and... Eddie had done well in the last game, so that made sense. I was really happy to see uh, what I regard as sort of the first choice back four, I suppose, mm. um, back together. Um, no, I mean, I, yeah, I thought it it was weirdly simplified by Partey's absence. Unfortunate, though, that is. So, I thought it was a bit of a... Like, I think this is a game where you kind of have to break it into two parts almost. The last... 15 minutes and then everything that came before it. Mm -hmm. I think early on, the two teams were sort of finding each other out, feeling each other out a little bit. We did have that moment where a mistake in the box and and Kai Havertz whiffed at his shot. You know, he he should be doing better there. And then before it came to Eddie, uh, United got it clear. But, Mm -hmm. But what did you make of the way United played? Because... We sat off, right? They had the ball. Onana, you know what's interesting about this game? Onana ended up with more touches than Anthony, Um, (laughs) which says a lot about the way he played. And look, he's a very comfortable guy on the ball, but United passed it around and passed it around in their own half. And we seemed, you know, relatively content to let them pass the ball around in their own half. It felt very, very sterile from a United point of view. Like, I wasn't that worried about them having a lot of possession, but I was maybe getting a little bit antsy about how much we were sitting off and whether or not we should have been a bit more aggressive in the press. Maybe that's what United were looking for. We weren't playing into their hands. Yeah, what did, what did you make of how they approached this? I, I thought it was quite strange, I have to be honest with you. Mm. You know, Anana clearly has a, a load of ability on the ball um, and looks very, very comfortable. And he was knocking it around, but he's playing sort of like 
eight, ten yard passes to the centre halves, really, Lindelof and Sandro Martinez. And kind of to what end was mm. sort of my question. You know, it it, it looked uh, comfortable, but I, I, my sense was that Arsenal were just like, well, yeah, you can have it there. You can have it in your own box, but they didn't really progress up the pitch at all. I suppose the answer to what end is, well, I guess it enables them to control tempo a little bit and slow yeah. the game down. Yes. And, um, but it, but it, I thought it was remarkably lacking in ambition. And I, I have to say, like, I've seen a lot of praise for the United performance and I don't really get it because to me, they played incredibly conservatively. All they looked to do was hit us on the counter-attack. They did achieve that uh, on a couple of occasions and it it might have stolen them the game, mm. but stolen would have been the right word for me. I don't think they made any of the running. I don't think they took the game to us at all. Like considering that they've hired Ten Hag, who is this great tactical mind who comes from Ajax and all the tactical traditions they have there, I thought this was really uninspiring from United. I agree. I think if that had been an Arsenal team playing that way, it would have been like, well, this is sterile. All the possession you have is, is basically sterile. You're trying to lure the opposition in, which is maybe why we didn't come out. But I think the, 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 the consequence of that, as you mentioned, was the tempo, the momentum. We didn't really get a chance to build the attacking phases. And I think when we did have little spells of possession and we'd sort of start bubbling, they get the ball back and they pass it around. It sort of kills that a little bit. So I think that was part of the design, but you're right. You know, with the money they've spent, the stature of the club, all the rest of it, like they were looking for Onana to play a ball in behind. Neither of the center halves really were, were looking for those passes. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. I mean, I, I completely accept that maybe we could have been more intense in the way we uh, got after them. I do think something that may not have been clear on TV is quite how hot it was in London yesterday. And certainly in the second half, I felt that you could see some of that intensity of the heat taking its effect on the players. Mm. Um, but I also don't know if, if maybe they were thinking, well, you know, if we, if we chase 30 yards to close the goalie down we are absolutely playing into his hands because what he wants is for us to leave a space that he can play a pass that actually progresses the ball. Yeah. Uh, and we were pretty disciplined about not doing that. It wasn't enthralling or particularly exciting, but it, it basically meant they weren't going anywhere. So I think there's sort of two sides to it. Yeah, I agree. And then, of course, the goal that they scored was a counter in transition after we lost the ball yeah. high up the pitch. I mean, the, the shades of last season as well, you know, if the shades of last season and how late we won it, Rashford scored a brilliant goal last season at the Emirates and he scored a brilliant goal yesterday. I do think we could have defended that better, to be honest. I think we could have maybe uh, White and Saliba, they're a bit too... Uh, vertical if you like i know mm, they sort of get caught in perfect parallel with each yeah. other don't they i think saliba's trying to figure out you know which side rashford is going to go is he going to come back in on his left or is he going to go on his right i think maybe you need to to sort of i mean make a judgment it's yeah right? it's going to be his, it's going to be his right so i think he should have moved across a little bit as well uh, and uh, made the angle more difficult for the shot. But, I mean, it's a it's a very good finish. Keeper gets a fingertip, but I don't think he can really do a great deal about it. No. 
I, I mean, it's one of those where, like, if he saves it, it's a great save. I'm, you know, whenever you get there, you think, oh, maybe I could, maybe I could have saved it, but I think, I think he does well to get there. I, I think we stood off Rashford too much in yeah. the box there. You know, it, it was too much space. It's, it's so evident what he's going to want to do. And to be fair, he's very, very good at it. So it's not always easy to stop him. You know, we've talked before about that Iron Robin thing of like, you know what he's going to do, but how do you stop it? Yeah. Um, but I think Ben White, when he looks back at it, will think, I should have been tired to my man in that situation. I agree. But Arsenal's response was immediate and excellent. Like mm-hmm. when we talk about tempo, where we talk about quickness of movement uh, and maybe not being able to do that at times, you know, we definitely did in this move, you know, the little flick from Martinelli, for example, it gets you on the front foot, some one-touch passing. Uh, Eddie, good pass to Martinelli, Martinelli to Martin Odegaard. And like, is there anybody you want in that position more than Odegaard? You know, over the last sort of 12, 15 months, the way he finishes from those positions, you know, when you think back to the early part of his Arsenal career, even the, the period when he was on loan and then when he came in first, he had this tendency to get into those positions, but the shot was not really like how many did he put over the bar yeah, from yeah. those positions? And now he just does not do that. The finish was was perfect. It was. I don't think there are many better at all at doing that. And he looks like a guy who's very confident in those positions. He looks like a guy who spent, frankly, hours on the training pitch um, tucking away those cutbacks, <laughs> and it, it's really paying dividends. Um, he, yeah, there's there's very few midfielders who are scoring at a rate like Martin Odegaard in the Premier League. Mm. Uh, in fact, I don't think there are any, really. Um, so, yeah, great goal, really nice move as well. Just, like, good one-touch football. Um, and a lovely flick. Yeah, was it Martinelli who turned it around the corner yeah. early on in the move? Really nice stuff. And good to see Eddie as well involved. You know, that's a, an aspect of his play that sometimes comes under the microscope. Can he do the link play, can he create chances for others? Well, he was heavily involved in, in that move and Odegaard finishes brilliantly. And it's so important to get it so quickly, I think. Yeah, I mean, it just absolutely took whatever little bit of wind in United sales that goal had given them. You know, it must be, you know, so deflating to go ahead, you know, particularly with the kind of game plan they had where they would have been looking to to sit off. But I thought what was interesting was was the fact that after we got the goal, they immediately just kept the ball. I think they had something like 58% possession in, in the period between our goal and half time. So again, we, we really struggled to make uh, hay from that, to make uh, build momentum, etc. Second half, you know, they had a couple of moments, didn't they? There was the the Ramsdale save from Martial, and then I think a, a follow-up was blocked, and there was another block as well by by Ben White. And then we had the penalty incident when Kai Havertz went through and penalty was awarded, then it was unawarded. <laughs> Having watched it a bit, what what do you think? Um... I don't know if this makes any sense, but I sort of think it's a dive and a penalty. <laughs> if, that, if that makes any logical sense, I, you know, he's absolutely looking for it. I, I'm just, I suppose what I mean is I'm so very surprised it was overturned. Yes. Having been awarded, you know, there didn't seem to be anything clear and obvious about that to me, you know, uh, no. and I don't think I've ever seen one like that overturned before. You can just chalk it down to, yet another one of those uh, officiating decisions that only ever happens to to Arsenal, you know? Uh, what did you think? 
you know my rule about how I would apply penalty decisions, mm. you know, if they happened up the other end. And while I would probably think it was soft based on decisions that we've seen in this league on a consistent basis, I wouldn't like it, but I would understand why it was a penalty. And I certainly wouldn't have any expectation that it would have been overturned if the fire review was at the other end. I mean, the, the example that I've seen doing the rounds and it sprung to mind immediately for me was the David Louise one against Wolves a couple of seasons ago, where the guy basically kicked the back of David Louise or kicked David Louise's shin as he was chasing him back. And it's a penalty and it's a, it's a red card. You know, so if that's your bar, I was uh, I was very surprised to see it overturned. Yeah, very surprised. I, in honesty, I don't think that should be a penalty. But having been awarded, as I say, surprised to see it overturned. But then maybe not, given that it's Kai Havertz. That is kind of the way things mm. are going for him at the moment. So what else? Um, Martinez went off after fouling Eddie and Kedia. Yeah. And I was reading this morning that he doesn't have an injury. So I know. The little, I don't know. What, uh, who knows? It's too hot for him. A little scrappy do fucker just decided, ah, nah. He, I, he, he thought, this is barbecue weather. And as a butcher, I this is a premium time for me to be out there selling sausages. Is this his nickname? Do, are you not aware of this? I mean, I've seen the I've seen it doing the round, so I'm assuming it's a, a nickname bestowed on him by United fans. Or? I think originally Ajax fans, and right. subsequently United fans have embraced it. I mean, I would say it's deeply embarrassing. I would agree <laughs> with that. I would agree with that. You know, when you think about it, you could just stand there, and you could. Remember when you're a kid, like I don't know if your dad or your uncle ever did it to you. They you just like put their hand on your forehead. Sure. And you could like wail away and there's just no way you could get near them because the size differences was too big. He's just all mouth and no trousers, this guy. He is. But you know, substitutions can change games. And I think we were lucky that we had, you know, great options on the bench to call upon. I mean, Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans, game changers. Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans as game changers. Yes, I mean, you could say that, couldn't you? <laughs> you definitely could say that. Here's another thing uh, that you could say uh, about Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans. Oh, fuck off! Just go away! Go away! Go away! Get out! Those are things you could say about those two. <laughs> uh, he's oh, good value, Goldbridge. I mean... He's elevated. It's performance watching. art, isn't it? It is really? performance art at this point in time, and and I actually applaud it. Um, it's it's very good fun. I but, mean, it's utterly and completely shameless, without any modicum of shame whatsoever. But hugely enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you know. I think there's a a, a, a tad of self awareness, and and I think that that it's all the better for that. But I agree. I think um, Can I think I ask we should just something? take a moment to think what? about the fact that Manchester United finished the game with Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans at centre-half. No, I agree. I was going to ask you because you were in the ground and when Harry Maguire came on, it sounded like he was being applauded onto the pitch from all sides of the stadium. He was, yeah. They sang his name. <laughs> the Arsenal fans sang Harry Maguire's name. 
<laughs> there was also a very hearty chorus in the North Bank of, if Maguire can play for England, so can I. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it lifted spirits. I think on and off the pitch, I think the ground came to life the minute Slabhead stepped onto the field because we thought, hang on, we could be in the money here. Yeah. I mean, you know, looking at that United team on paper pre-game, I was, you know, I was thinking, yeah, we should be able to do something here. And, and I, I think that's part of the discussion we'll, we'll have now in a minute. But like you say, when, when it's Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans in the final stages of a game, that's not ideal when you're playing a team who is capable of doing what we said we were doing or we could do, you know, in the, in the injury time and that relentlessness that we have, like they would not be your first pick to sort of, you know, be the battle-hardened centre-halves who are going to see out a game. Uh, uh, yeah, and I'm sure there were many fans in that stadium, by the way, who don't follow the minutiae of other clubs as closely, who would have thought, Johnny Evans? <laughs> like, they would have been looking at their watches and calendars trying to figure out what year it was. He's uh, alive! He's alive! And he plays for Manchester United. It, yeah, it was um, surreal. But, you know, we we welcomed it. And it was... Second half was kind of interesting, you know. I, there was a period around the hour mark where we were applying some pressure, um, maybe looking like we might chase it a little bit, which was sort of worrying because there was that vulnerability on the counter attack. Then there was a kind of, I think, a period following that where we slightly lost our way, and it's easily forgotten now because of the flurry of activity in the final fifteen minutes. But the game began to drift, and I thought you know, this is looking like a draw all day long. And I think it would have been mm. quite frustrating, really, to have drawn with Manchester United on this occasion. I mean, could, could we have had any complaints? You know, obviously you have complaints when you drop points, but based on the performance, and I suppose the Saka chance is, is the moment, isn't yeah. it? Where where you think, okay, that is... That was the moment. That I was think. the moment. It was a really good passage of play as well. And it's not something that we were able to do a great deal in this game, but we passed it around. We found the angle. We found the overlap. You know, you know that that is a sequence of play that they have practiced time and time and time again on the training ground. Mm -hmm. And it is absolutely set up for whoever is in that position, whether it's Bakayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, Eddie Nketi, whoever it might be, that, okay, when he's here, you're there, bang, 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 make the pass. Ben White knew immediately, didn't he? He just played the ball across goal. And I think Bakayo Saka should score there. Definitely. I mean, I don't know if he's not anticipating Jesus stepping over it as he does, but it's a brilliant chance and a really tame effort. Um, mm. I, I think he'll be quite relieved that Arsenal went on to win the game. I think that one would have probably stayed with him. Uh, wouldn't have slept great last night otherwise. Mm. But yeah, um, it, yeah, it, it was finely poisoned. Could we have had any complaints about one all? Not really. No, I don't think. I think it kind of... These big games are decided by <laughs> incredibly fine margins, as we're about to discuss it in some detail. Um, but it's not like we created a ton in open play. And uh, I think, yeah, a draw, it wouldn't have been a... A terrible result, but it just would have felt a bit underwhelming, I think. I agree. I agree. Um, so the fine margins that you're talking mm. about, United... Well, f did you think they had any claim for a penalty, by the way? The Hoyland one? Yeah. No. no Absolutely not. No way. 
They're really convinced about that, aren't they? But I, I just see that as complete 50-50. It's one of those where the striker puts his arm across the defender first. And I think as soon as you've done that, yeah. it's a 50-50 and it's sort of very difficult to give it in your favour. I thought it was really interesting, you know, the, the, the debate or the discussion around Hoyland. Obviously, he came on and I think his presence compared to that of Martial is night and day, right? For sure, yeah. Physically much more imposing. He he certainly chased the channels more. It was interesting the way he attached himself to Gabriel and not William Saliba. And, you know, he gave us something to think about back there. But as much as he did that, I think we dealt with it really, really well. I think Gabriel mm. stood up to the physical challenge. I don't think that was a penalty. I think he's going to have to, you know, he's new in the Premier League. He's going to learn, obviously. He's going to cause a lot of problems for defenders. But I don't really see that he caused us too many problems. You know, he he he, he made Gabriel defend very well. So for me, the, the discussion point should be how well Gabriel defended much more than, well, look, this guy came on and ran around. And he is he is better than Anthony Martial at doing that. You know, Martial had a, I think, a really quiet game. Um, and Hoyland, you know, is a different kind of player. But I think credit should go to Gabriel more than people saying, well, United set such a low bar. A guy who came on and tried yeah. to be a bit of a, a bull in a china shop is is something to be positive about. Yes, there was a lot of focus in the post-match analysis on the fact that he basically wasn't Voot Veghorst. Um, yeah. But, I, I, you know, we're an Arsenal podcast, so let's talk about Gabriel, who I, I thought, uh, yeah, did marshal him pretty effectively. Mm. And I didn't think that was a penalty at all. Um, in fairness, Holland, he did have a nice touch, Martinelli-esque, you might say, in the build-up to the Garnacho mm -hmm. goal, in inverted commas. Goal. Uh, yeah. And do you know what? Mikel Arteta said something really interesting in the post-match press conference he said it really quickly um so I went back and listened to it again <laughs> about the types of goals that we conceded against United I know it was one goal singular mm. but I think he said what you absolutely cannot do against them is give the ball back to them within one or two passes of regaining it so it's those moments of where you get the ball back from United try and play two quick passes and lose it those moments of transition are where they kill you. And when you look at the Rashford goal, that is exactly what we do. I think Havertz regains possession, then immediately gives it away. Uh, and it's the same with Garnacho, where we, we win it in the midfield. And then I actually think, I don't like saying this, but it's a good Bruno Fernandes tackle. Ah, I'm, I'm a bit on the fence about that one. And look, I've been looking at it again here as we've been talking. It's not one or two passes, though. We have possession. We have controlled possession. I just wonder if that's a tackle from behind. And, you know, uh, look, I, I would prefer, obviously, for that to be part of uh, what a player can do. I think he wins the ball, but it is from behind. I didn't think he could mm. do that. But, hey, that's neither here nor there at this point. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of it like that. Possibly. Mm. Possibly. He wins the ball, but, it, you know, yeah. the angle's not great. Um, but, Gabrielle if we talk about his strength and his positioning and his ability to hold off Hoyland, can we please talk about his balletic nimbleness to sort of arch himself to play Garnacho 
offside in the uh, in the tiniest way possible. I mean, when I looked at the first replay, I was like, ah, fuck, he's onside. I really thought he was onside when they showed the first replay on Sky. And I have to say, I was kind of surprised that when the lines were drawn, it showed him to be offside. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's mental that that's offside. In my opinion, you know, what what are we doing here? But I'm delighted. <laughs> I'm delighted. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, you know, Gabrielle, he does the sort of funky um, body swing. Mm. But there is kind of a serious point here, I think, which is that if you watch it again, the ball's played through. Uh, who knows? Who, I can't remember who plays it. Hoyland, uh, Casemiro. Casemiro, right. And actually what happens is that Saliba steps just before Casemiro plays the pass. Saliba goes, I'm going. I'm, I'm stepping up. And actually what happens is that Gabriel recognises that in a split second and and follows his centre-back partnership. I'm just going to watch it again here. So, because Saliba sort of faints as if he's going to go with Garnacho, right? And yeah. then he's like, actually, offside. We're going up. It's 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 a millisecond. But because Gabriel has got his eyes on Saliba... Oh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. And because they play as a partnership, that's why it matters to have your first-choice central defensive partnership on the pitch. Because mm-hmm. Gabriel sees Saliba step and his reflex takes him forward alongside him. Mm. And that, whatever it is couple of inches is the difference between Arsenal winning and losing this game, yeah. ultimately. Amazing. Like, it, it is a couple yeah, of inches. It, it, yeah. It's a brilliant reaction, but I think it's also built on an understanding between two players. And I think a little bit in the first three games of the season, we've sort of been guilty of thinking maybe that doesn't matter as much. Mm. But I think it it is absolutely critical I- and completely agree with you on that you know partnerships and understandings and relationships on the pitch is something Mikel Arteta talks about a lot you know he has mentioned it uh, you know in in other aspects of our game so particularly in in uh, the center of defense I think it's absolutely important um, by the way I just not an mm. Arsenal point but I when Garnacho came on I was I was worried because I think he's so dangerous I cannot for the life of me figure out why United persists with Anthony when they've got a guy like this Garnacho on the bench. Does, it's very it's it's baffling. Doesn't he play a bit more on the left though, usually rather than Anthony? I mean I, I have yeah. to say I agree with you. I think he's a really good player, but you know, if I had to pick a number one and two of players I'm delighted to see denied a goal by the tightest offside possible, it would be Garnacho and Anthony. You know Sure. Um, Interesting face on Garnacho. Yeah. Yeah. Quite bony. I want to say. Skeletor-esque. Yeah, a little bit. Anyway, anyway so he's <laughs> got it in the net. They think they've won it. That would have been very cruel, I have to say. You know, that would have been a real smash and grab. It would have. I think that would have been... I don't think, uh, you know, if we couldn't have any complaints about a draw. We could certainly complain about losing that game based on, on how the game uh, had gone. I think it would have been unfair um, on performance levels, I'm not saying we played particularly well, but I don't think we deserve to lose that game. Can I read you a bit about uh, of the live blog uh, after the after the offside went in? I said on 90 minutes, let's break their fucking hearts now, and we did. <laughs> we we had made uh, 
changes. What, what did what did you feel about the changes? I was surprised. Um, I was surprised Trossard didn't get on personally. I was a little surprised, but I sort of understood the changes that he made. I didn't quite know who Trossard was going to come on for, maybe Martinelli at some point, but I think Vieira for Havertz made sense. Yep. Uh, Jesus for Eddie made sense. And obviously we'll talk about his goal, but but I think Gabriel Jesus had a really good cameo when he came on. Some of the some of the play out on the right hand side where he would take these high balls down with a defender, you know, all over him and take it down and keep possession and, you know, uh, some tricks and skills and stuff like that. I thought he was really, really impressive when he came on. And, and obviously the other the, the other one then was Tommy Asu for Zinchenko, who, who clearly isn't ready for 90 minutes yet. Yeah, I, I thought Jesus was brilliant as well. And of course, we must add the caveat that he was playing against Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans. <laughs> um, but he, he still looked sort of close to his best in terms of that sort of wiry ability to wriggle away from defenders and to yeah. find a way around them when there's seemingly none. Uh, he was excellent and added another dimension. I thought Eddie did well, actually, um, for the most part. But Jesus took us up a level when he came on. I agree. I, I really agree with that. So we go into these eight minutes of, of injury time. And, you know, remember the, I think the Bournemouth game was one where we were kind of really, if not, you wouldn't say knocking on the door, but hammering on the door. Mm. Absolutely hammering on the door. And in this case, you know, I didn't really feel the same way. We had plenty of possession. Uh, Gary Neville, um, who was quite irritating yesterday on on commentary, um, said basically, you know, Arsenal need to get the ball to Martin Odegaard because in situations like this, he's the one who can find the pass. He's the one who can make things happen. And, you know, I I hate to agree with Gary Neville, but I I think that's right. And it's quite something maybe then that, that an Odegaard shot, which deflected over, led to the corner, which got us the Declan Rice goal. Yeah, and we'd had plenty of corners. I think that was 12. I think that was a dozen. And we hadn't... There was some frustration in the ground that we hadn't really capitalised on those as opportunities. Mm. Um, I remember a Declan Rice header in the first half, um, but not a great deal beyond that. So I have to be honest and say, I, I it didn't fill me with a great deal of hope when I saw mm. Kaisaka trotting out to the corner flag. Uh how wrong I was. I think this is a un, underappreciated, but I think the technique you need to uh, to get that ball on target from the position he was in is is not talked about much in terms of this goal. I know it got a deflection, and that maybe takes away a little bit uh, from the technical aspect of it a bit, but the way the ball is dropping and he has to swivel and get over the ball to get it on target is a difficult it's a difficult skill i think it's um you know i think it's a not something that was talked about too much when it comes to this goal but obviously the euphoria of it i don't know which defender it hit it wasn't johnny evans because they were complaining about a non-existent foul on johnny evans another one of 10 hags i think it still may have been actually yeah? uh, i think it was post the foul um in inverted commas but yeah i mean i agree with you it's it's actually really good technique uh, a to bring the ball down on your face, but then <laughs> to keep your balance and your composure 
to make good contact with it. Oh, um, it is Johnny Evans. You're right. Yeah, it is Johnny Evans. Of course, who else? It is interesting because when you watch it, it is odd for a player to have as much time as that in the 96th minute at the back post. And you- obviously what happens with Gabrielle and Evans is a key part of that. Um, but uh, again, I don't wish to make this sort of a, a, a Gabriel Magalhaes uh, redemption podcast, but Mikel Arteta has said of some of our recent games, we haven't necessarily been quite good enough in both boxes. Mm. And I've made the point, you know, Gabriel is very good in both boxes and he is a threat and he is a problem at set pieces. And, and that tangle that he has with Evans, which I don't think is a foul because if you watch it from the reverse, Johnny Evans does exactly what Hoyland does. He grabs Gabrielle first. Of course. Yeah. Um, but that again is all the difference. Like if that doesn't happen, I'm not sure Rice gets as clean a shot away. I'm not sure it ends up in the back of the net. No, I agree. I mean, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other in in that one with Evans. You know, Ten Hag complaining about that being a foul. Come on, get a stronger defender. Well, Gabriel 100% knows what he's doing. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's clever play. Yeah. It's clever play. Um, And that's where you can impose yourself. If you talk about players imposing themselves on games or imposing themselves on the opposition, what is different about what Gabriel did there than what Hoyland tried to do to Gabriel? Nothing. You know, it's the same thing. A player trying to, you know, press home a physical advantage or, or, or use his physicality to the, to the best extent to help his team. Um, you know, I thought those complaints were, were absolute nonsense i did have another point oh yeah i watched match of the day two last night i don't know if you saw it but they they highlighted the fact that manchester united were consistently leaving arsenal players with space at the the back back post post, yeah so i don't know how deliberate that was from us i don't know how deliberate it was in those circumstances you know when you're in the 96th minute and you've got a corner you just got to put it somewhere where you think somebody can get on the end of it you know but it, it paid off. I mean, what a moment. What a hit. What a goal. Uh, United must have been absolutely gutted to be 2-1 up and then to have that goal chalked off, rightly, shall we say, for offside. And then to go behind, it must have been fucking sickening for them. And that, I have to say, really made me happy. Yeah. An incredible moment for Declan Rice. Uh, to crown what I thought was a, a very good performance. Mm-hmm. It's just like a you couldn't wish for anything more, really, could he? In his first big, big game at the Emirates Stadium, he scores what is the winning goal, mm-hmm. the critical goal in the game. Um, and those scenes, the celebrations, I mean, the TV cameras did actually manage to capture it pretty well because yeah. they did that kind of overhead aerial shot of the crowd all rushing forward. Um, it was bedlam in the stands. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, uh, yeah. And listen, <laughs> we were lucky enough to get a last minute winner against Manchester United uh, last season. Um, we got two goals against them in stoppage time this time around. So twice as nice. I, I I gather that some of the United players, uh, when they thought they'd gone two one ahead, had been quite uh, verbally bolshy, shall we say? Some oh, of the Arsenal really? boys. Okay. And uh, 
let's just say they got a bit back when Declan Rice stuck that one in the net. Um, I think the <laughs> Arsenal players really, really, really enjoyed that one. Oh, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. Um, premature celebrations, I guess, from a United perspective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so big, there's some big egos in that team, and couldn't happen. You know, they weren't shy about letting Arsenal players know what they thought when they went. A- I wonder. Ahead. I wonder which Bruno Fernandez it could have been. <laughs> no comment. No comment on the players involved. <laughs> but but Arsenal, yeah, were obviously elated. It was a big moment, and the third goal. I mean, oh, lo- icing on the cake really is lovely pass from Fabio Vieira. Where's the stat? Did you see the stat? I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I, I do know that his his, his uh, sort of goals and assists ratio when he's actually on the pitch is increasingly impressive. Uh, it's from Orbino, as you would expect. Um, Fabio Vieira with another assist. Only two players at Arsenal have more in all competitions since he joined the club. Yeah, and do one you know, of those must be Trossard. One is Trossard, on the, and the other the is Bakayo Saka. Yeah. And this is very similar to the pass for Gabriel Martinelli, isn't it? Uh, at Aston Villa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where he, he just times it brilliantly and Jesus holds his run, just slices them open. And from then on, uh, Jesus' finish is absolutely oh, masterful. Absolute quality. The way he sat the defender down and then rolled it in. I mean, Reese Nelson, to be fair to him, had made a huge run up the outside. He would have had a tap in if Jesus yeah. had wanted to, to he, pass He it. won the ball in his own half, yeah. Reese Nelson. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I've, maybe Nelson had his eyes on another <laughs> late, late 100th minute goal for Arsenal. But yeah, Jesus deserved it for the, the quality with which he sent Diego Dallo sliding. Still sliding, we believe. Um, sliding to infinity. Yes, <laughs> into the vortex. I mean, I think it's a big goal for Jesus as well, you know, because he had situations like that last season where maybe he wasn't quite as decisive and, you know, there were games where he had chances and he missed chances. And I think, you know, we've, we've talked about it, how it is part and parcel of his game. But I think if we if we really want to catch up with Man City, if we want to go toe-to-toe with Man City all the way, we're going to need him to be a bit more clinical. Yeah, we need him to find his finishing boots to yeah. hit a hot streak, I think. Yeah. If we're honest about, you know, where we want to get to this season. And you're right to say many times he's been in situations like that and you've not thought, oh, he'll finish this one off, you know. But he, he showed that he absolutely has the ability. Yeah. It's just if he can marry that with the composure. And the thing is, goals do... Forget goals, you know, mm-hmm. they build confidence in those situations. So I think it is a big moment and beautifully taken. It, and I've got to tell you, it was a great moment in the crowd because for the minute it's 2-1, we're all, you know, ev- everyone's on their feet waiting for the full-time whistle, right? Yeah. 60,000 people, like, just bursting, like, wanting to let go. And then suddenly he races away and that goal was of course might as well have been the final whistle and the outpouring of emotion was Mm. crazy. You know, I mean, it was an amazing thing to be part of and we've been absolutely spoiled over the last year or so with some moments, but this was, this was definitely up there. Oh, for sure. For sure. It was one of those where you're sort of at home, the game's not going quite the way you want. You're a little bit worried 
heart rate might be abnormal, maybe before <laughs> the goal, whatever it might be. And then by the end of it, you're just absolutely jealous of every single person who's in that stadium because they've experienced they've experienced something like that. And look, we all experience football in our own ways. You know, most of us do it from afar. The lucky ones can do it from inside the stadium. But it is, you know, I, I think the, the significance of this win is really, really big because we're going now into an interlull. We have the relative cam of being able to relax a bit. You know, we're not sort of like, oh, why is this all wrong? Why is that all wrong? I mean, there are still things that we can do and things that we can improve. And I'll make a point now in a second. But, but you know, we talked about maybe the United game being a spark for something. And, and I hope that's the case. But you've got to win these games. You've got to, you've got to take three points when you're fighting uh, against a side like Manchester City. You've got to take three points however you take them. Um, and I think there is something to the fact that Arsenal are capable and have demonstrated themselves capable of not playing at, at our best. I don't think we've been anywhere near our best at all this season, but we have 10 points from 12. And really, when you think about it, we should have had all three points against Fulham last week. So that's a bit of a, you know, a mess up on our behalf. But... I don't think 12 points from 12 um, would be unjust based on the position that we were in, certainly in that Fulham game with with, with uh, two on up against 10 men. That That's uh, bad points to drop. But do you, I mean, what, what, what do you think of that? Do you think that our ability to get maximum points while not playing well is something that augurs well for for the season ahead? You know, I know some people were going, well, maybe you're a bit lucky to get the points, but I, I sort of feel like we are capable of doing enough to win games now while not playing well. I view it as a sign of the development of the team and the maturing uh, of the quality of the team more than stuff to be anxious about, even if I and you and everybody else can probably say there are things that we can do better and should do better and uh you know performance wise fluidity all of those things you can see that 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 we can improve but i i have to say i feel positive that we've been able to get 10 points from 12 while not playing as well as i know we can yeah i think that the floor of the team has been raised effectively i think even when we're not at our best we are now better than most you know we were comfortably better than manchester united yesterday for my money and we weren't, I don't think we were close to our best, really. No. I've seen us play a lot better than that at times last season. Uh, and I think that's really encouraging. 10 points from 12 is very decent, I think. Mm -hmm. Could have been 12, could have been nine, you know. Mm -hmm. There have been very fine margins in, in all these games, as there will be all season long. But the critical thing as we've said since pre-season, is in this early period, while we are still adapting, evolving, finding our rhythm, can we still pick up lots of points along the way? We're doing that. Mm. Um, it, it's always difficult when you're comparing yourself to Man City, isn't it? it? It's sort of, it's almost a shame that we have to see our season through that prism because they are so absurdly good <laughs> yeah but if we try and step back from that and look at our own progress as a team and where we're at i think it's really positive that we're winning games and we can still see clear areas 
to improve. I think that's a really encouraging sign. And this was a big win, a, a bigger win than the three points. I think it changes the complexion of the start of the season. Mm-hmm. I think it all means we can have a lovely fortnight. We're waiting to go and try and get some revenge against Sean Dyche at Goodison Park. And it really establishes the Emirates as a fortress again this season ahead of our, our next home game is a very very big one on September 24th against Tottenham Hotspur yeah North London Derby um, yeah I agree just a you know big big win and you know I'm sure the 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 manager and the coaching staff will pick the bones out of this one and look at what we could do and how we can improve but I think for the players you know the intangibles the confidence you get the the sort of belief you get from winning a game like that against you know I think you're right to say that, that this is not a great Manchester United team but Manchester United as a club that stature you know it's always a big game and a big game to win you know so um take all and the I positives was buzzing, Andrew. I, let me tell you I didn't sleep last night like at all. I could not sleep because it was such a buzz coming out of that stadium. Um, and Football amphetamines, that's what you were on. Yeah. And, you know, Mikel Arteta always says sort of similar line in these situations where he goes, well, this is what we work for. You know, this is what we work for every day of our lives is for moments like that. And it can feel quite sort of trite when he trots it out in multiple press conferences. But I think it's absolutely true, mm. you know, the end goal, yeah, of course, is trophies and silverware, but there are these extraordinary moments along the way that are reward in themselves, and you've got to revel in them. You've got to enjoy them. We've yeah. been blessed with so many. We really are being spoilt at the moment. And uh, yesterday was oh, such a brilliant sort of live experience to be part of. I think even uh, the neutrals, you know, the media were sort of caught up in it. You know, even Gary Neville, I, I saw, I watched some of the post-match on Sky. Yeah. He was saying, I hope this is coming across on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it was just an electric atmosphere. Perfect day, really. Great weather, you know, good kickoff time. When I got into the ground at the start, it was loud. My ears were ringing. It was really loud in that stadium. Like the fans were so into it and so up for it. And Yeah, I actually heard that same phrase from a friend of mine, Tony, who said, my ears were ringing. Yeah, it, they were genuinely. Like I, when I go to gigs, because I'm old now and I've got tinnitus, <clears throat> I often wear like little filtering earplug things. And mm-hmm. yesterday I was like, I should have had them with me. Like, wow. honestly, it was deafening. It was, in, I was in the North Bank and it was so loud my ears practically hurt at one point. I mean, is is that it was it was so loud pre the goals or this is goals? before kickoff? Wow! Like in the concourse and in the opening five minutes, and then that was pretty well sustained. When it went to two one, uh, yeah, it was just electric. Let's just say I was glad I didn't bring the baby to this one. Um, I think he, <laughs> he would have been deafened for life, bless him. Um, he, had his, he had his headphones on. Those headphones those. would have done nothing. Honestly, they would have been blown off. The headphones, it was, they do nothing. It, it was crazy. It was crazy. And so, yeah, I just sort of have, to, I can't really stress that enough. It was a really special atmosphere. And I mean, before we go into the break, do you think that, you know, when we talk about this being a game where, where, the team might click. You know, you get a big win in the circumstances you get it. I mean, there've been we've had questions the last few weeks about the atmosphere inside the stadium. Is it maybe now, is this the game where it sort of clicked again within the stadium? 
Maybe. I don't know, because, I, I, you know, there had been that slight sense of expectations being raised, but whether it was because it was a big game or whether it was because it was Man United and the rivalry, the heritage, um, I don't know. But the fans were absolutely where they needed to be in every respect. It was a, a, a genuine, like, privilege to be a part of it, and they got their reward, big style. Mm. And I, I, I thought as well, by the way, you know, full-time whistle... Shout out to P2, played Rice, Rice, Baby, as soon as the whistle goes. Um, and I thought, wow, what a moment for Declan Rice. Like, he's joined Arsenal. Within a month, he's lifted a piece of silverware and beaten Man City at Wembley, full packed-out Wembley Stadium. And then he's come first big home game mm. at Emirates Stadium, Manchester United, scored the winning goal everyone's singing his name at full time. He probably feels very ju justified in his choice right now. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I, I am, Peter Drury is having a, an effect on Gary Neville, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that bit where he was talking about Ice Ice Baby being yes, played. Yes, I, I, I did said, notice the sort of strangely and, poetic... Yeah, and that, of course, is under pressure by David Bowie and Queen. And he is under pressure... Yeah, it's just like, shut up, Gary Neville. It's like he had seen Peter Drury doing his, um, yeah, his kind of beat poetry commentary and yeah. thought, I'll have a crack at that. Yeah. Um, put, I, put I, the I'm not decided down, on Drury, I have to say. Like, <laughs> I really like it when it's sort of clipped up and set to music and turned into like a, a beautiful montage. But when he's doing it like for every game, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It feels just a little bit, um, I mean, it's deliberate and it's his own style, but I feel like he's really leaning into it now. Yeah, like when West Ham, like, score a winner against Nottingham Forest and he's like, Marco Antonio, the Roman conqueror or some <laughs> mad thing like that. You know what I mean? I just feel like it, it might begin to wear thin, but I, yeah. I respect his... Um, his dedication to his craft. Yeah, he's very good. He is very good. All right, look, we'll take a little break here. We will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. 
And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog, and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Would you like to go first, or would you like me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Okay. So, this is from LexLex on Twitter. Uh, And LexLex says, Goodly morning, gents. Who do you think is the biggest, almost epic celebrator of late or monumental Arsenal goals? Is it A, Zinchenko, B, Saliba, or C, Ben White? He says, I can always see one of them doing something surprising or just patting the scorer furiously. Oh, that's a really good one. I mean, Zinchenko is like, his ones tend to be a bit more in-game. Whereas at the end of games, Ben White is usually on the pitch and William Saliba is usually on the pitch. Like, I thoroughly enjoy Ben White's celebration of the Reese Nelson goal last season in front of the Bournemouth keeper. Yeah, that was very funny. But I think you've got to give it to William Saliba, who not only, like, he kicked the corner flag out of the ground uh, against Bournemouth, but you know when they all get together in a huddle? Mm Mm-hmm. They're all standing there celebrating the goal, going, woo, yeah, go, come on, yeah, yeah. And then someone goes, oh, it's going to happen again, isn't it? It's going to happen. And then William Saliba leaps on top of them all. This gigantic man just powering through the air and landing on top of them. Uh, I feel like he's done that quite a lot. So yeah. I wonder- He was off yesterday, wasn't he? Like yeah. into the crowd pretty much. Um, and it's something that's been true all through his career. Like if you go back and watch clips of him at St Etienne or Marseille he loves the celebration that guy mm. um it's it's sort of an interesting contrast isn't it because he's so cool and composed and placid 99% of the time it's like that's when he lets it all out yeah um and yeah it's great to watch i'd say i mean we've got some good celebrators in the team well, Aaron know. Ramsdale i think you yeah, got to give a nod to Aaron mention. Ramsdale I think he's worth a mention, but Saliba takes it yeah. for me. No, I agree. I saw it was a tweet from Dan Critchlow who was saying that Ramsdale, when the third goal went in, did a knee slide in front of the Man United fans. which <laughs> So unnecessary. But so necessary. Yeah. So absolutely time. necessary. You know, if the... Because I think I saw as well. Did you see when they took the lead, Onana was giving it some to the Arsenal fans? Yes, I saw that. He leaped up in the air like he'd made an assist or something. And then like 30 seconds later, the ball's in the back of his net. This is just another eight-yard pass. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, great. All great. It was. I mean, it was really interesting to see when the huddle sort of came apart, people like Eddie and Kedia 
and Martin Odegaard on the pitch, in the huddle, in their kit still, as if they'd been, yeah. you know, still there. So they had about 14 on the pitch, actually, when they kicked off mm. after that, I suspect. <laughs> also, it's worth watching when Declan Rice goes into the crowd. <laughs> He has his hands just very carefully protecting his head the entire time. So he gets to the front <laughs> of the ru- rush and like the crowd come to meet him and the team flooding behind. And Declan Rice is just in the middle, like like a, curled up like a little egg holding his head going like, I hope I'm going to be okay. Yeah, I know they're going to smack the shit out of my head now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's what you get for scoring a late goal against Manchester United, a few head slaps. It's all, all part of the game. You mentioned this in the first part blade on the discord says goodly morning gents with our team having a few big players in the box for corners do we have to start looking at martinelli being replaced on corners from the left there have been quite a few games where he can't get it over the first post uh, to contrast declan's winner came from a sacker corner that went to the back post to an open man and lack la 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 clacks Lala Clax says, Gabriel Martinelli's corner is not beating the first man. Can't be the only one seeing this time and time again and being frustrated by it. Time to change that up. For who? For who? Mm. Would be my question. If Trossard's on the pitch, I think he delivers a nice corner. Yeah. Um, But it's kind of an either or, isn't it, a lot of the time with Martinelli and Trossard. Would you go for Saka and an outswinger or Odegaard and an outswinger? Potentially, but they want in swingers. Clearly, the people want in swingers. Um, I, I I think it is incredibly frustrating to watch a corner hit the first man. But I think the difficulty is that a lot of the times, what what Martinelli is looking to do is get a corner just over the first man, <laughs> mm. and so it is like only an inch or two that he's getting it wrong by on a lot of those occasions. And and so I sort of think it's one of the things that while it looks really bad, he's probably not that far off, you know, doing what he's attempting to do. Mm. Um, But yeah, listen, yesterday I did think we had a lot of corners and we didn't offer a great deal of threat from them. So the delivery wasn't particularly good yesterday. But I think that was, for me anyway, maybe people will prove me wrong, but I feel like that was slightly uncharacteristically bad day from the corner spot for Gabriel Martinelli. And I have to say, throughout this game, I thought he was probably our our liveliest attacking player. Like, a lot of stuff came down that left-hand side. It was a good battle with Juan Bissaka. But they, uh, you know, we won a lot of corners. He won us a lot of those corners with his drive and the way that he was was running at his man and stuff like that. So, you know, another day. to hit them at the first half. (laughs) He earned that. Okay. No, I, I I'd keep him on them, but I would I'd say I don't know if he's around in the international break. But if he is, it's got to be you know a bit of corner practice training session. He can do mm. a few a bit of practice on those corners because we are a big side. We've got targets now. I think it looks like Declan Rice is going to be a threat in those situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Gabriel, if he's picked, is always a threat. I think. Uh, both Eddie Nketiah and Gabriel Jesus have got sort of surprising spring um, for guys who aren't necessarily huge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are players that we can certainly aim for. Is it my question? It is. Okay. Uh, Selbridge Gooner says, Good morning, gents. How much did Eric Ten Hag's salty tears make the sweetest of sweet victories even sweeter? Seven much. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, 10, surely. Yeah, seven. I'd like him to be a bit saltier. I'd like for more. Th- I'd like for him to think more things didn't go his way. Okay. But it felt very deflective. Deflective? Deflectionary? What's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, maybe he can have a complaint about... Um, no, fuck him. He can't have any complaints about anything. He can get fucked. You know, the offside, pff, no way. The penalty, no way. What else is he complaining about? Um, oh, foul on Johnny Evans. No way. No yeah. chance. So, you know, he's talking out of his arse to make it sound like United were hard done by and they weren't. So I'll go to eight, actually. Eight, eight. better. Eric, eight, Hog. I think he always sounds like he's putting on a gruff voice. Like, I've got a theory that he's actually got, like, a sort of Joe Pasquale, really high voice. <laughs> uh, and in an effort to counteract that, he does all his interviews like this, so no one will know his yeah, terrible yeah. secret. <laughs> um, and he... Yeah, I, I was... I'm really yet to be convinced by His Majesty United, I must say. I thought it was quite something that the Gary Neville was blaming the Glazers. Yeah. You know, and I know that the, the Glazers, sure, they're not great owners, all the rest of it, but also, like, it's not as if Man United haven't spent a lot of money. He was talking about almost them being spending mid table amount of money. And, you know, did they not spend like. 80 million on a striker who's only in his second season and they spend 60 odd million on Mason Mount and 50 million on Onana. They're they're spending 10 million in a loan fee for Amrabat. You know, Mm. they've spent plenty of money and I just think the job he's doing there and the football that they're playing must be pretty underwhelming if you're a Manchester United fan. Like it's functional. It can be effective. I think... As a big club, they sort of have a, a way to grind out results and get results. But, you know, he hasn't really been transformative in any way, has he? No, I mean, the way they played yesterday, genuinely, I thought shared parallels with how Nottingham Forest played at the Emirates on the opening weekend. I really did. Like, you know, they defended their box pretty adequately and they had threat and pace in, in on the counter-attack. But I didn't think it showed any greater ambition than that. Mm. And um, uh, they've got injuries, in fairness to them. They have got some injuries at the moment. But, I, 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 yeah, I, I'm very curious to see how that pans out. I know some United fans who are, like, really sort of staunch defenders of Ten Hag and think he's, you know, going to save the club. Uh, and I do know one or two others who are beginning to think, I'm not sure if this is the right mm. guy. Um, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, he did his interview. I mean, I have to say about Sky doing the interviews pitch side, it's not great. Um, There was, I think during Ten Hag's interview, there was an Arsenal fan in the stands just doing the most high-pitched whistle. You know, when someone is really good at whistling, like a sheep farmer, you know, whistling for his dog. You know, but like consistently all the way through the interview, like, I wasn't that interested in what he was saying, but it's still quite annoying if you're trying to uh, hear these these post-game interviews. I'm not sure I'm not sure why they do them pitch-side rather than in a studio. The other thing is, like, you, you wouldn't have seen this, 
But like right from the very start, United were talking up the, or United, Sky Sports were talking up, two and two together, I guess, uh, were talking up the presence of Mike Dean. Ah, yes. <laughs> I was going to ask you about this. So, you know, this, uh, they do the, here's the teams, Here, you know, they cut to a shot of uh, Peter Drury and Gary Neville in the, the commentary position, and then they're gurning away beside them is Mike Dean. And they're talking about, like, how difficult is this going to be for Anthony Taylor, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And it's so strange to me that they're trying to set this refereeing agenda right from the very start. You know, who? if there's something to talk about, talk about it at some point, right? But but don't make an ex-referee who made, a, like, a frankly shocking admission 10 days ago or two weeks ago, like, why is he front and center in Sky's coverage? And then at the end of the game, they've got Roy Keane, Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott says the word essentially a lot. A mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, little tick that he has, um, which I, I'm guessing he'll, he'll get rid of as he does a bit more uh, TV. So they have... Uh, Dave Jones, uh, Roy Keane, uh, Theo Walcott, Micah Richards, and then Mike Dean, right in the fucking middle of them. Like, this sort of obsession with celebrity refereeing is, I don't really get it. I don't understand it. You know, I think there is a time and a place maybe to discuss refereeing decisions, but when you put an ex-ref, particularly one like him who loved being in the spotlight, it's just really off-putting because what you have is a game against Arsenal and Manchester United, and you're putting an ex-referee right in the middle of this as part of the, in inverted commas, narrative, and I don't really understand it. Don't understand it. No, and then, <clears throat> I haven't seen it myself, but presumably all they do is back up the decisions that were made in game. Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's not yeah. even like it's a particularly interesting debate. In the game, in the, like when the decision on the Havertz penalty was made, he's like, oh yeah, that's a penalty. Yeah, I'd definitely give that penalty if I was if I was the referee. You can see he's gone between the players there. And then by the time Anthony Taylor had gone over to the, to the video to have a look, he completely backtracked and said, oh. yeah, actually, that's not really a penalty. Look where the contact is, da-da-da-da-da. It's like, what is, the, what is, what is he bringing to this discussion? I just, it's weird. It's mm. really weird. It's almost as weird as interviewing managers at halftime. Did you see that in the Brighton-Newcastle yes, game? Yes, I saw get uh, uh, collared like, for a quick interview. What is the fucking point? What are you going to say to your team? None of your fucking business. That's what. <laughs> That's what I would say. I mean, like, whatever. Just go away and fuck off. Yeah, I look forward to them trying to do that to Arteta. Uh, I mean, they will at some point, won't they? But, it, again... It doesn't bring anything to the coverage. It doesn't add any value to the coverage of the games. And it's it's sort of like, I know they do this in some American sports, don't they? But it, it's not necessary in football. And um, yeah, anyway. I'm with you there. I'm with you. Is it my yes, question? Yes, it is. Okay. Um Castle on the Discord says, Good morning. Surely with another Fabio assist off the bench, he's earned the right to start at this stage. If he doesn't, what message does it send to the rest of those not starting week in and week out? And we add another one if I can find it. Uh, I can't find it. But it's probably something to do with Havertz. Um, but I think the <laughs> Most of them are. But I, I, I think the, the Vieira... The Vieira point is quite interesting. Maybe I do have another one just on that. It was about players who 
can come off the bench and make an impact again. I can't find. Well, I, I, I've got one which I think is worth throwing in, which is similar lines. So this is from Anil, Anil Nijar. That's Britain. the one I was looking for, actually. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And he says, fantastically morning, gents. Do you think Arteta views some players as super subs only rather than starters? Mm. Vieira and Nelson mainly. It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because yeah. Vieira's come on again, made a positive contribution. Um, and so you think, oh, maybe you should start games. But, Maybe there is something about coming on in the later stages that suits him. Um, uh, he won't thank me for saying it, but it, it could be a factor. And game state is also something to be considered. You know, he tends to come on when Arsenal are chasing it, chasing it or looking for the breakthrough. Mm. Um, maybe there are concerns he doesn't offer the same degree of kind of defensive solidity. I mean, listen say what you will about Kai Havertz and lots of people will certainly do that. We could probably do an entire podcast just about him really and questions about him. But I, what is surprised me about him is how much he contributes off the ball and on the defensive side, which I did not see. Uh, yeah, he had some really good defensive moments yesterday. There was one where he chased all the way back and look, I know he lost the goal or the ball for the goal or gave the ball away for the goal. Um, but there was a lot that happened between that that concession of possession and, and the ball hitting the back of the net. But yeah, I think he worked very hard defensively. So I don't know if Arteta feels... I mean, I think Vieira, went, what I've seen of him this season, he's shown a bit of fight and a willingness to trap back. And he looks a much more confident player. And I think we're seeing that ability, you know, come to come out more. Um I wonder if you're a manager as well, if you if you have a player who you know is impactful off the bench, does that lean into your thinking? You're going, well, we can try this, but if it's not going well, then I know X, Y, and Z could come on and, and make a difference. Yeah, I mean, I think Nelson has a very specific role in that in that respect. I think he sees Nelson as someone who, against a tired defence in the late stages of games can cause problems mm. like on the byline, on the flank. Uh, I think that's why we saw Nelson ahead of Trossard yesterday because he, he helps you keep that width. Um, and I think that's a role he'll play. Do I think he'll start a ton of Premier League games? Absolutely not. Um, not at the moment anyway. No. I thought it was interesting as well. You know, has Dan said... Is Arteta doing the substitutions later, around 75 minutes, a new development due to the amount of extra time given in games? I, I think it probably is. Mm. I think, because I was looking at thinking, is he going to make changes? Is he going to make changes? But he's got a factor in. And I, who knows whether this lasts the entire season? I suspect not. I suspect like many of these sort of innovations, it will fade as time goes on. But at, at the present point in time, he has to factor in an extra 10 minutes. Um Yeah. So the timing of those substitutions becomes all the more important and the impact they make or can make can become all, all the greater. Um, to bring it back to Vieira, he's got to be close. He's got to be close. I have to say our next league game is against Everton and they play, as we found out to our cost uh, last season, a very physical midfield three. I think it's Garner Gay, uh, Decore and Onana. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if that's the right game 
to throw Fabio Vieira in for his first start. I think the physical dimension that Havertz gives us could be useful there. Um, but he can't be far away at all now, no. Fabio Vieira. What do you think? I, I, I think he's got this sub-role... Um, and, and we mentioned it last week where, you know, he's coming on in a position where he didn't really play in preseason. He played on the other side in preseason. Yeah. Uh, but I think there is there is a talented player there. Uh, I agree with you about Everton. It's probably not the, the right place, but, you know, he's knocking on the door. He's making an impact. He's got, a, you know, assists. He's got a lovely left foot. He's got some passes in his locker. And I think over the course of this season, he's going to play a lot of minutes. Definitely. So um, just let time play it out. I mean, we did have a, a question here on Saka from Jmart91. Do you think we need to talk about our star boy Saka? Another below average game and he looks slightly low on confidence at times. I know he got the assist from Rice, but he feels like he needs a game out of the team at this rate. And I saw a lot of questions on Twitter as well. Do we need to sit Saka down, etc., etc.? And I think this is a fascinating uh, question and discussion. So I'm curious to know what you think. I I don't quite get it. If I'm honest with you, like I, I think he sh I think he should have scored, definitely. And but I am always struck that every week we seem to have questions about is Saka right? Is he quite at his level? Um, I think the expectations on him are maybe extremely high. And when he falls slightly short of those, for some people it becomes a bit of a crisis. But I just think these are kind of normal game-by-game -game fluctuations that players go through. And um, I don't really share the concern. That's my position. What do you, what do you think? I can see that he didn't play as well as we know he can yesterday. Yeah. But he made five key passes in the game and got an assist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And had a chance that he should have scored, right? So this season, in five games, if you include the Community Shield, he has four goal involvements, two goals and two assists. And I think, like the team, collectively, he hasn't played as well as he can. But if you've got a guy, and this sort of tallies with what we're talking about, like, can you produce when you're not playing as well as you can? Bakayo Saka can. Like, he can play below his best level and still give you something, whether it's a goal or an assist, set piece, delivery, whatever it might be. He's capable of delivering end product when he's not at his best. Yeah. And I think that is way more valuable than people think. I think the the first reaction, you know, is to say, well, he's not playing as well. Is he tired? Does he need a rest? You know, which I get, I understand it. But I think if you're a, a Mikel Arteta or any football manager, you're looking at what he brings and what he delivers on such a consistent basis that even if he's not playing as well as he can, you know he's capable of giving you something in a game, a moment, a pass, a, a goal, you know, the, the goal against Forrest, you know, just out of nowhere, he he gives you something brilliant and spectacular. So I don't worry about it that much, to be honest. I'm not worried about Saka. I think he can definitely play better, but I'm not I'm not convinced 
that it would be for the benefit of the team if he came out? Like who who goes in? Yeah, so, certainly not for me. Like it, it wouldn't even be a thought to take him out at this point in time. No. Um, I think as well, like he is a wide player. He is a winger. The things he's trying to do aren't going to work sometimes. You know, like you're not going to always beat your man. Your cross isn't always going to find its target. You know, your shot's not always going to hit the back of the net. He is playing a, a style of football that is sort of percentage-based. He's not a guy who's like a central midfielder and you can say, well, did he complete 90% of his passes? Like there's risk involved in everything Saka does. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's going to come off and look like he's a genius and other times it's not. And everyone's going to say, oh, he needs a rest. But I, I still think the threat that he provides, there's so much he brings to the team in terms of structure, leadership, ability to hold the ball, the shape he offers, the delivery from set plays, which obviously creates the winning goal, as you suggested. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not worried about it. I, I, I think we can't... Yeah, I, I'm not worried about it. It's fine if you are, but I'm not. Yep, same. Um, uh, okay, let's have another question. So, boo, 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 what was it going to be? I don't know, actually, Andrew. I, th I, I thought I had one, but then I've lost it. Man United, what did I think of them? Why is that? Yeah, I've done Kai Havertz. I don't know. I like this have one. You've got one. Yeah, I've got a couple here. I've got, I like this from Simon at SHS Harrington. After many weeks of angst among the fan base about our perceived tactical overcomplications, how reassuring was it to see our left back playing on the right side of central midfield yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> I know. As soon as the game started, I saw Zinchenko kind of in the right midfield spot and thought, ah, <laughs> mm. the good old, good old shape. Um, I mean, I think there were, maybe there were some slight differences to what we saw last season. I think, I do think Rice's role is a little bit different to what Partey does in the team. And there were certainly times where when we got into the opposition half, it felt like he was popping up in kind of sort of inside left spaces. Um, I think, yeah, I think in different phases of the game, the shape was a little bit different to what we did last season at times. But I don't know, you'd need Mikel Arteta to, to take you through it on a... PowerPoint to really have any sense. No, no, PowerPoint. What are you talking about? Google Maps. Of course, Google you know, Maps. Ways. Find your way Google around. Ways. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, what else? I had a couple here. Actually, we'd one that says, uh, Goodly morning. Uh, it's from Steve Gunner, 68. Now that the transfer window is closed, he says, Have you still got your spreadsheet for the ins and outs? And if so, how close were you with your totals? We all want to laugh at, sorry, support you in this revelation. <laughs> so thanks very much for that, Steve. I do have the spreadsheet, amazingly. Oh, no. I have it. Every year I count on you to, to lose it. I know, but. Okay, I'm let's have a look. Arsenal transfer. History. Let's go transfer marks. They they've they've got a little running total on there, I think. So do you want me to do you want me to tell you what we predicted? Yeah. So totals I predicted ninety one million in and a hundred uh no, maybe hundred and twenty two million in. Oh Jesus. I was way off. Uh two hundred and thirty million out, you predict predicted two hundred and ten million out, hundred and one million in. Um 
we both we weren't pre- far off on the on the out. To yeah, be fair. I mean, we both predicted Kieran Tierney would leave for around thirty million. Thirty-two million, uh, I predicted. Thirty-five million, you predicted. Um, I thought we get twelve million for Rob Holding rather than one million. <laughs> maybe I just put the maybe I put the decimal point in the wrong place there. Pablo Marie six million we knew. Granite Shaka thirteen million each is what we said, but we ended up getting a bit more. Cedric zero million, which of course is true. Nuno Tavares, I said we'd loan him. You said we'd get seven million, but we've loaned him with a potential twelve million fee. Yeah. Austin Trusty, I said we'd get four million. You said we'd loan him. No, you got that right. Um we both said we'd loan Sambi. I said we'd get zero million for Pepe, and you said we'd get five million, which we didn't. Um, Andrew, the Saudi window is still open. Yeah, another few days. So these, too, these figures are all subject to change. So too, the windows in Turkey and Greece and Azerbaijan and Belgium. Um, oh, come on, guys. Come on, Belgium or Azerbaijan. Somebody, uh, Charlie Patino. I said we get two million. You said five million, and we've loaned him Balagoon. I said twenty-two. You said thirty. So you were closer to that one. And then I said, mystery sale. Mystery sale for 31 million, which did not come to pass. That did not come to pass. According to Transfer Mart, in Sterling, we have brought in 58 million pounds mm. this summer. Okay. Um, is that is that Rob Holding fee really been reported as 1 million? You're, you're dig, the digger. The digger himself reported that. One million, no, he didn't. One million plus 2.5 million in add-ons. Digger said that. Digger said it. If Digger dug it, then, then it, it, it done be, dug. be true. It's dug into If the reality. digger done done it, <laughs> one million plus 2.5 in add-ons. I mean, it's not good. Oh, that's, that's not bad. I, you know, you texted me the other day yeah. and said, I thought we would have got more for holding. And at that point in time, I was laboring under the illusion it was four million fee. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, last day. Yeah, you didn't even reply, you know. I didn't even reply. (laughs) And because I was like, so like at odds. But wow, one million plus 2.5. I mean, to be fair, if he'd said 3.5, it's still low. (laughs) Yep. It is. I, I mean, that is a case of do. That is a case. Uh, people will sort of bristle at this, I'm sure, but that does have the flavour of doing someone a bit of a favour. I agree. So, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I think so. I think it's like we'll help you here. Yeah, but still very low and not it's good. Very it's cheap. Very cheap. But I'll be interested to see if he plays for Palace because they've got Mark Gay, who's very well thought of. Hmm. Arsenal really like him. Want to keep an eye on, potentially. And then, who's the bloke? Joachim Anderson. An- yeah. He of the long passes. Um, the so, Danish De Boer. The Danish De Boer, exactly. So, I mean, he's gone there, but I'm not sure he's an automatic starter there. Was no, he, I don't no? think so. But, you know, he'll... Uh, they've He's closer, well. that's for sure. Yeah, he's closer to the first team, and there'll be you know plenty of football to play, and injuries and suspensions and things like that. So I hope it goes those. really well. Hope it goes They're really well for well. him there. That, uh... I'm looking at transfer marked right now. Rob Holding's market value is eight million euros. Right. Well, something's not right. Come on, what's happening that's here? Quite... Yeah, that's a good game. Um, sort of seeing you know 
what does Transmart say the players we've sold are actually worth? Probably about five times what we've received. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's it's our inability to sell players. You know, it's best illustrated by the fact we've had to loan so many. Mm. Yes, um, we could do with selling better. Um, but let's not labour on that. I, I did like this, just to finish us off, from Planet Callum, who yeah. says... I celebrated Rice's goal so much that I accidentally pulled my living room door off its hinges. Have you ever accidentally or purposely broken anything when celebrating a goal? Like, how do you accidentally pull your living room door off its hinges? I mean, it strikes me that takes a good amount of effort. Yeah, what did he So the ball hit the net and he thought, I'll open the door and then I'll just... Yeah, but I'll really open it. I'll fucking reef the door. Did he you know swing when, on you it? You know when you're really happy and you think, I've got to yank on that door. <laughs> I'm always thinking that, yeah. Yeah. I'm a door uh, yanker. Well, in, in my happiest moments, I, I yank doors. <laughs> That's why they have turnstiles on football grounds, not doors. Because they worry that when the goals go in, <laughs> everyone will just pull all the doors off. the doors off, off yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why the turnstile was invented. Have I ever accidentally injured something? I'm trying to think. I mean, you'd think so, wouldn't you? It'd be in character for me. I mean, I think I've I've sent my laptop into the air, but it thankfully landed on a rug and and didn't um, didn't break. Yeah, I've seen a lot of broken phones over my time mm. uh, in the North Bank. A lot of phones go down uh, in those sort of rushes towards the pitch. Um, noble sacrifices in the name of her glory but i've so far i've been okay all right i think well maybe this is the season where you can couple an arsenal goal and something good into uh you know a trademark not too serious injury maybe i mean i'm not going to goodson park so i fear i fear for the doors in my flat let's just say that if we if we get a winner like we did uh the weekend I mean, it would be good just to score a fucking goal at Goodison Park, wouldn't it, at this point? Given yeah. our record We've, there. I mean, honestly, I was there last season working, and it was miserable. Yeah. Um, so it would be lovely to avenge that. About time for Mikel Arteta to get over his Everton hoodoo. Uh, but that is, of course, a, a couple of weeks down the line. We have an interlull, so everybody can go into it nicely chilled and, and feeling good about uh, the three points and how miserable Manchester United are. Um, please do join us a little bit later on this afternoon for a roundup of all the Premier League action in the 30. Myself and Lewis Ambrose will have that for you on Patreon later this afternoon. For now, we better leave it there. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show as always and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.